Hello, good morning, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Silmarillion Film Pro- Project. I am your horribly sleep-deprived co-host, <laughs> Dave Kale, broadcasting from the patio of my friend's apartment in San Diego, where I just pulled an all-nighter. <laughs> so you can tell already that I'm really going to be um, playing my A-game today. Starting really slow. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Thankfully, you can tell. You can tell by the fact that Dave's voice is half an octave lower than it normally is. For instance, <laughs> thankfully, I have the most wonderful team uh, to work with ever to backstop me, and that it would be the folks you were just listening to now: Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien Maven. I hope you guys are doing much better this morning than I am. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little sleepy, but just make sure you stay away from the edge of the balcony, okay, Dave? We don't want to hear like you know the sudden yeah. clattering crash. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> Dave falls into the pool from the third floor or something, you know. Right. So yeah. I gotta say, Dave, you are a trooper. You're a trooper to be here today. That is awesome. Very impressive. That is right. Well, this is what grad school is all about. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. That is true. You're making memories, Dave. You're making memories. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about today. Today being episode or session number six uh, of uh, our season one as we discuss episode four of season one. Having introduced Melkor last time, we are getting ready to integrate uh, Melkor into general population here and introduce him to the rest of the Valar or reintroduce him to the rest of the Valar, that being one of the things we need to talk about. Um uh, but we want to start off, as usual, reviewing stuff from the last episode, the stuff we've been thinking about since last time, and that you guys have been thinking and discussing on the discussion boards. And I want to say at the beginning, and I'll probably repeat this several other times, you guys have been awesome on the discussion boards. Some of the, the points you guys have made um, are, are fantastic. I, 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 I really... I, you know, I love so many of the things that have been posted, and I'm going to be uh, referring back to many of them over the course of our uh, discussion here today. Um... First, and actually the first uh, thing that I, the thing I wanted to start with here, and this is a, a, a sort of a general uh, comment uh, that was made by Rowan on, on the discussion boards. Um, and it was a wonderful observation about the adding, fleshing out and merging of characters and how this is something that, you know, you always see and you kind of, you know, as he describes, sort of brace yourself for when you're watching a film adaptation that you know that many of the characters are going to be compressed or, or, you know, merged, you know, the sort the roles of different people are going to be merged together. Like you might decide, for instance, to pitch Glorfindel and give his role to Arwen, for instance, just to cite a random example of this kind of phenomenon. And, you know, on the one hand, this I know can be really odious for, you know, book fans, right? I mean, obviously, no real Tolkien fan loved the disappearance of Glorfindel in the Lord of the Rings film, right? I mean, I think, I think all of us in our own ways mourned the loss of Glorfindel when the Fellowship of the Ring film came out. However, it also makes a certain amount of sense. The one thing I would, I would, I would say to this, um, that I would add, and this actually uh, came up in uh, Myth Lewin's reply to Rowan on the discussion board, um, was Myth Lewin pointed out very rightly, uh, as I was going to point out myself, that Tolkien also did the merging thing to a point. Um, as he points out, anything that happens in Doriath involves Beleg, Mablong, and uh, and and Dairon. Apparently, Thingol's entire kingdom and army can rep- be represented by three elves, and that is absolutely true. Um, Tolkien did that. Now you can see. That 
this most especially in The Silmarillion and The Hobbit. This is less true in The Lord of the Rings, where, of course, he's kind of taking longer, and so it's easier to kind of introduce smaller characters, you know, sort of smaller characters who have, play one sort of role and, and, and kind of vanish. But think about The Hobbit for a second. Um, how many dwarves do we know, right? Um, what Tolkien does is he kind of compress, you know, the, the dwarves are all there, right? I mean, there's, there's always 13, okay, I was about to say there's always 13 of them. Well, until three of them die. But anyway, uh, most of the time there's 13 dwarves, uh, and, and yet most of them never even get a line. Most of them don't get a single, uh, you know, there are a bunch of them don't get a single uh, line of dialogue. Most of them get very, very little dialogue, and we know very little about them. Um, instead, what he does is he sort of chooses representative dwarves um, who, you know, sort of speak, in a sense, for more than just themselves. We, ha- we have Balin, right, who, you know, with his, his kindness and generosity and the sort of the camaraderie that he shows to Bilbo, we sort of see that element of his relationship with the dwarves collectively, right? In Dory, we can see Dory's sort of, he's not really especially kind or particularly friendly to Bilbo, but he is sort of gen- generally decent. You know, he's the one who carries Bilbo and goes down to help him up the tree and everything. Um, so, you know, that, that, that bit is given to Dory. Of course, Thorin is sort of in his own category. Bomber, of course, represent, you know, I guess represents or, or, I don't want to say, re- represents that makes it sound like I'm saying he's like a symbol of which is not of course the same thing but you know he's 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 uh, you know this sort of this kind of comical element of the of the dwarves think of the conversation that Bilbo has with Bomber on the wall right right before he sneaks out to hand over the Arkenstone right and there Bomber is like the spokesperson for the part of the dwarves which is not really happy with what Thorin is doing, um, and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's, 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 as I said, it's a general move that, um, that, um, uh, that, that, that Tolkien makes. And what makes it more striking is that you can see if you go back and read the history of the Hobbit, John Ratliff's History of the Hobbit, his discussion of the of the manuscripts of of the Hobbit, you can see that this is, as Ratliff very rightly points out, this is this is the trajectory of Tolkien's revision. In the first draft, he tried to give more of the dwarves more dialogue to try to kind of round out each of their characters. In other words, he kind of tried to go, you know, all Peter Jackson Hobbit movie on them, not quite to the same extent and not obviously exaggerated to the same degree, but he tried to give each one of them a personality and involve them all in the story. But then as he revised, he kept consolidating and giving the dialogue of 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 the lesser dwarves sort of conglomerating it into the mouths of just those few that we really get to know well. And this seems to me a really good move um, and a really sensible kind of move and very much the kind of thing that one often has to do uh, in a, in a, in a, you know, a film adaptation with the Silmarillion, Mithluin's example is an excellent one, right? Presumably there were lots of elves in Doriath and we, um, uh, and we, 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 uh, we did, uh, um, we do meet other elves in, in, in Doriath, but, but Mithlun is absolutely right. Beleg, Mablung, and Dairon are essentially like the stand-ins for all of, uh, uh, for, for all of, 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 
of of Doriath, and uh, uh, Mithluin also points to Glorfindel and Ecthelion and Gondolin, which which is right. Maeglin, Ecthelion, and Glorfindel are basically the representatives of the nobles in uh, in 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 Gondolin, and that's a particularly striking example too. You go back to the fall of Gondolin, which Tolkien wrote in the teens, you know, which you can find in in volume two of the Book of Lost Tales. And you find lots of characters, right? He he has, like, the different captains of all the different houses, and he goes through and he describes each one and everything. But then as time goes on and he revises the story, those other characters fall away and the focus is drawn, you know, again, on just those those few representative characters. Um, so Tolkien already did that. And I actually find that that's one of the things that I think makes the Register of the Silmarillion... Um, it's sort of an advantage, I guess, for adaptation, um, because it's a lot of that work has already basically been kind of done. Um, and so it's easier for us to choose characters to focus on. Notice we haven't had either really to cut or to add um, or merge or any, you know, any characters so far. Um and I don't think we would really need to do that. I don't. I don't anticipate doing a whole lot of that. Um, but I just. I thought that that discussion was a really cool one. And and you know both the combination of Rowan's comment and Mithluin's response, I thought were 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 both really uh, really excellent. And uh, okay, what we will be doing is fleshing them out. You know, we will. There will be many of these minor characters who are on, who only get a little bit. You know, even if they recur a lot, like Mablung. Right? What's what's Mablung really like? Right, he he is, you know, one of the most commonly referred to. I mean, he's one of the chief Doriath characters, and yet we don't actually get to know him. We get to know to know Diron a little bit, to his cost. You know, he it's not nice when we get to know him. He doesn't seem like a very charming guy, but um, but we don't, and we get to know Belle quite well, but we don't get to know Mablung very well at all. So the opportunity, you know, in the Silmarillion film project to be able to kind of flesh out Mablung a little bit and think him through a little bit more, that, that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun, just as I'm having fun thinking through some of the, some of the minor characters uh, among the, the Valar and the Maiar a little bit more too. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's, um, uh, that, that's, uh, that will be, that, that will be fun. And that was, anyway, I, I, just, I, I thought that was a very perceptive, uh, uh, discussion, uh, on the discussion board there. Um, can I ask a quick question? Did we decide whether or not Tolkis is going to be arriving late? That is to say, is Tolkis going to be in episode two? I think uh, you basically <laughs> decided that. Didn't we you? did decide that? <laughs> Yeah, d- I, d- think you did. I, think I did. You did, and we didn't disagree. <laughs> I, I, I just like insisted that we must have maximum Tolkas, so therefore he must. Well, I think be there you're just be... kind of like, of course, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I don't actually. I know I don't think we we definitely definitely decided. Right. I, I think you know the coming late part was definitely there. Uh, we I think tossed around the idea of him coming concurrent with Melkor, but again, I don't think we absolutely decided anything. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, the yeah, Mal- I'm concurrent with Melkor. Kind of be a buddy of Melkor's, you know. Initially, like, like you know, my pal Melkor and I are now here, kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we. I, I seem to recall we, like many decisions, we sort of um, discussed the pros and cons of each way, and but I don't, I don't know if we finalized it, but I think we were leaning toward the true him studio arrive, exist like, style. Yeah. Yeah, well, the more if, if we do have him arrive late, do we have him arrive later than Melkor or are you you're talking well, about you were wanting him to come maybe a little bit late but not 
that late. See, that's the thing. I mean, there are only so many entry points, right? I mean, uh, if episode two is when everybody's arriving in, 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 in Arda in the first place, right, and establishing Amarin for the first time, um, if he's going to arrive late at all, he's going to arrive after that. Um, so basically, it seems to me there are only, so, uh, there are only a few options for Tolkas's arrival. He either comes with the rest of the Valar in episode two, or he comes at the same time Melkor does in episode four, uh, which I think would be a bad idea because we want to keep the focus on Melkor, right? We don't want to, Confusing, yeah. we don't want to have, that's way, I, that seems to me too many variables to try to juggle in, in one episode. Yeah. We could have him arriving a little bit later than Melkor, but before, you know, before things get real, right? Before the conflict begins. Um, you know, like in episode five, perhaps, um, when the, uh, when the lamps are being built, um, or we could have him arriving later, like he could come in in Valinor or something like that. Um, of these four possibilities, it seems to me that the last one is obviously unattractive because that's way too, we can't go half the season without Tolkas. I mean, please, that's, that would be awful. Um, well, I... There is something to be said for that, though. You know, yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking later about the fact that they have to decide to go to war. You know, they're not really oriented that direction. And Tolkas could be the catalyst that's, you know, that, 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 you know, points in that direction, in which case he shows up later, like, as if he's been sent to, like, slap sense into the Valar kind of thing, you know? Um, well, and, yeah, and in the in the published Silmarillion, he's sort of like a, he, he has like a, you catastrophic arrival, right? Like they're going, they're actually already going to war with Melkor, and then he sort of comes out of nowhere and is like, "Oh, hey, this guy's going to be useful." Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't. I'm not arguing we have to do it exactly that way, but no. I think yeah. we have to. We have to time it perfectly so he gets a great arrival moment. Yes. Yeah. And see, it's hard because. Uh, um, but, but yes, Dave, to, to support your point, yes, the sentence you were recalling is in the Valaquenta. Um, he came last to Arda to aid the Valar in the first battles with Melkor, is what it says. So yes, that is, that is correct. Him coming down after strife has already begun would be following most closely, um, what the, uh, the book says. Um, is his coming you catastrophic and what role does it have in the uh um in the bringing about the war see this is one of the, this 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 leads to me uh, a danger yeah see nick palazzo is thinking in in, in uh, sort of similar directions to me here nick says there's a danger of him being too dour uh if he's there to kick the valar into gear yeah and nick i would add yeah, if, if he is that's to true. enjoy war see he likes fighting but that's not the same thing as enjoying war. He likes wrestling, right? This is not a guy who's like, yes, let us get to the battlefield. You know, he doesn't have this, like, you know, battlefield berserker kind of attitude, right? There were Valar like that, uh, Makar and Measa, in the Book of Lost Tales. They get dropped. They're not in the published Silmarillion. But they were the gods of war. They were the, they were the Valar dedicated actually to combat into battle. Um, and who enjoyed, you know, corpses on the, you know, in, in the field of slain and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, and they lived in Valinor and they had like, like a combat arena, uh, in Valinor. You know, that's what their part of Valinor looked like. Um, so I actually, 
one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with is that I kind of think that Tolkis, I Tolkis, Tokus is going to be willing, obviously. You know, he's going to he's going to want to, but he's always going to want to like challenge Melkor to wrestle. You know, he's not going to be like, "Come, we must take up arms." Orome is much more of the take up arms kind of guy um, than uh, than 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 Tokus is. And of course, the mightiest in arms um, of all of them is uh, as Aonwe. Um, uh, you know, Manway's guy. So, uh, the, the guy who used to be in the Book of Lost Tales, the son of, uh, of, of, of Manway and Varda. Um, so, um, so anyway, yeah, uh, Philip, he does marry Nessa, and the marriage of Nessa is a big deal. Um, but see, here, this is another issue, is that the timing is, like, it's the marriage, it's the wedding celebration of, uh, of Tulkas and Nessa that, um, Melkor Rex by destroying the lamps. Um, so, uh, if, yes, Carita Nessa is the dancey one. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, another, uh, another, th- I can't remember if we said this or not or if I thought of it as Tolkis and Orome could be buds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of fits Tolkis's jovial, sort of hunter like, yes. you know, loving to. Kill things. So that's yeah. No, I agree. I yeah. He probably knew, he needs to do. Yeah. <laughs> I can picture this excellent sequence, right? Where like the two of them are off hunting. Like we 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 show Orame on horseback, you know, with his bow and his spear and his 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 great horn by his side as Nahar rides through, and he's sort of raising his spear above his head. And then at the last second. Tolkas on foot comes running in from the side because we know he can run faster than anything else in Middle Earth, right? So he comes in on foot, passes Nahar, and like totally wrecks the moment, and just like you know jumps on the whatever they're hunting from behind and wrestles him down, uh, and like you know he's like sitting there grinning and holding like the the you know the great stag or whatever it is in a headlock, and and Orame's like you're doing it wrong. Um, so you know i mean like they, they they would get along but they're different right i mean they're totally right. they're totally different um uh but again like tolkas just has to like he just does everything with a grin he's not a he's not and this is why i don't see him as the like no we must go to war kind of influence on the valar because that's not what he's like you know he's like yeah i mean yeah he's conflict he's okay with he's great with conflict he likes fighting he likes contests of strength but he's not big into battle um and certainly not big into war uh so um uh anyway but but um <laughs> right so brandon, brandon young says so he's so he's more of a discatastrophe perhaps than a, than the than the eucatastrophe maybe um but 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 anyway i uh i i i we're, i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in thinking about what's going to lead them into war that's you know that's the that's in the second half of the season for now uh cuz here this to me are the is is sort of the 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 difficulty the the main difficulty about Tolkis's arrival apart from the fact that I personally want him on screen as much as possible but I know that that's not a great reason to make this choice we really need to make the choice based on story not on my own personal preferences and um and the 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 problem is we've are, we've made this one choice we've made this one change already and that is we have pushed back the strife between Melkor and the rest of the Valar until the moment of the destruction of the lamps. The moment of the, the, the that's just like, 
the, you know, Melkor's big moment. There's already been tension. There's already been strife. There's already been conflict. And they're already struggling with him all over the place before that happens. And that's when, so that's how, in the book, Tolkas comes late compared to them, but still before the destruction of the lamps so that his marriage can get wrecked by the destruction of the lamps. Um, so we either have to separate Tolkis's coming from the conflict, right? Have his coming be before the conflict. And therefore we can still wreck his wedding if we choose to in episode, in, 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 in episode six, or we have to have Tolkis come after the destruction of the lamps and have his wedding not get wrecked. Uh, oh, we could have his life. wedding. Everybody could get killed. Oh, no, wait. I think that's been done already. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's like very, that's, I mean, wedding, uh, celebrations and festivals, that's when all the bad <laughs> stuff happens, right? So, right. uh, uh, Tolkien's wedding is just the first example of that. Um, and so it actually does seem fitting that we would have the destruction of the lamps happen at some celebration or other. So if it isn't going to be Tolkas... So I kind of like the idea of having Tolkas present. Um, first, because, as I said, I don't I, I, I don't really myself want to save him for kicking the Valar into battle, because, again, that doesn't seem to me like him. But also, I kind of like the idea of him having a grudge against Melkor. Like, the, the idea, like... Because he would welcome... Uh, 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 Melkor with open arms, right? I mean, I would think he would be one of the most effusive who would, because A, he's not very bright, and B, he's really cheerful, right? So, uh, so he would just be kind of naively, um, delighted, and we could even show Melkor kind of manipulating Tolkis fairly easily, um, and therefore Tolkis feeling yeah. sort of the more, but you know, then, you know, Tolkis being all like wounded puppy when, uh, uh, you know, when, Melkor betrays him. Um, I mean, I think that he, it would be more useful, and I and I love the idea of Tolkas's wedding. I mean, we could think of some other celebration to get wrecked by the destruction of the lamps, but we've got Tolkas's wedding. All, all we have to do to be able to have Tolkas's wedding is just have Tolkas there. In which case, I think he must come in, in the beginning with the rest of the Valar because I don't see I don't see any other yeah. room unless we introduce him in episode five. Um, you know, well, while the lamps are being he, built, but he doesn't have to be there from the very beginning. And in, in order to have a wedding, can't we sort of introduce him at some other point? But right, but when the dilemma is, the dilemma is if you don't, um, the dilemma is if you don't, um, uh, like, yeah, I guess it's kind of a no man's land of where to introduce him if you don't bring him in at the beginning or have him come late. What, what are the like? Um, my my mind is obviously foggy this morning. What are the circumstances under which he arrives in the published Silmarillion? I mean, doesn't he come in the middle of some conflict? Yes. Yeah. No. It's, it's definitely. The, it's definitely post lamps conflict. Um. Yeah. It's actually the in the opening paragraph of chapter one is when it, and it's it's coming. You know, Trish, this is back to your point about you catastrophe. It's definitely you catastrophic in the book in this way. Um, uh, so just first paragraph. It is told among the wise that the first war began before Arda was full-shaped, and ere there was yet anything that grew or walked upon earth, for, and for long Melkor had the upper hand. So even before Almarin is established, they're already at war in the published Silmarillion, right? So this is this is 
the by far the biggest change we have made um, in our adaptation so far. Okay, all right. But in the midst of the war, a spirit of great strength and hardihood came to the aid of the Valar, hearing in the far heaven that there was battle in the little kingdom. And Ardor was filled with the sound of his laughter. So came Tulkas the Strong, whose anger passes like a mighty wind, scattering cloud and darkness before it. And Melkor fled before his wrath and his laughter, and forsook Arda, and there was peace for a long age. And Tulkas remained, and became one of the Valar of the kingdom of Arda. But Melkor brooded in the outer darkness, and his hate was given to Tulkas forever after. So, so, um, but, so in our current conception, though, are we thinking that the destruction of the lamps and the uh, disruption of Tolkus's wedding is going to be like the inciting event for war between the Valar and Melkor? Yes. So it's not going to be go into go into Arda and be perpetually at strife the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. Well, then you know, I think probably it makes most sense to just have him come on down and and. Um, Well, and the other thing is, too, that we probably need to have an episode or a good chunk of an episode be something about him, you know, be a story about him so that we actually know who he is and are invested in him when the wedding finally comes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, too. Otherwise, we won't care. Otherwise, we'll be. Otherwise, we'll be like, who's that guy? And what's this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember who he is. He was one of the. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is something we have to be really careful about: is how many characters we introduce and how, because it's it is a pretty big cast. Um, yeah. so, so unless we are going to start conflating, um, as uh, Rowan was fearing, or you know that basically we've got to be we've got to be pretty selective, um, and I think that's going to mean being ruthless at the beginning about saving some of the Valar until later yes. on. Um, yes. You know, we're just maybe. Yeah. It can be in the background or something, but they but they don't they don't get featured. They don't get their introduction episode. Exactly. So, so the the one the one part about this that disappoints me a little is I, my mental model of Tolkas's introduction was going to be like him cut you know like something going on in him coming in and rescuing somebody and arriving yes. like like I mean uh, already already I'm horribly biased by the fact that that, that that I cast him as that I cast Dwayne Johnson as him in my mind but I was kind of imagining almost like almost a WWE wrestler <laughs> entrance of the kind that the that Dwayne Johnson used to do when he was the rock in the WWE like you know some <laughs> Some some guys pounding some other guy with a chair, and then and then and then um, the rock's catchphrase comes on, and the music starts up, and then he comes down the entrance ramp, and everyone goes nuts. Right, exactly like that. Yeah. That's well, I mean, what I, I was imagining. But I, I, I don't know I, how I, we're going to do it if there's no conflict. Exactly. Well, and maybe that would be cheesy. I have an idea. Well, okay. I, so all right. So this is um um. The question raised, Philip was just raising basically uh, what I think is a really good question is basically, okay, what is the reason to delay his entry? The reason in the book is to have it be that kind of you catastrophic um, uh, uh, event, right? Um, as he comes and he turns the tide of the initial war against Melkor and brings about the peace which enables the establishment of Almorin and the building of the lamps. Right, that's the function of T- Tolkis's late arrival in the book. 
why, what would be, if any, the function? And if there is no function, we should just have him come in at the beginning. The function, I would say, Dave, exactly along the lines of what you're saying, would be to introduce him, right? Um, how do we get people invested in him? Well, rather than giving him a prominent role in every episode, you know, like in episode two, and he's not going to be a prominent role in episode three, the Melkor introduction episode, obviously. Um, that's going to focus, as we discussed last time, primarily on Melkor and Manway and Varda. Um, but um, the the... Episode two, the building of Almerin, and episodes, you know, four and five before his, um, uh, before the, the, his wedding in episode six. That would, I mean, that's all we have, right? Um, to introduce him. I don't really want to necessarily give him a, a big, enough to make people care. The way to make people care would be to have his entry be noteworthy in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a theory. If we want to do this, we could do this in episode five. Because here, and this is kind of merging into what I wanted to talk about today. But my theory here, um, I think we want to already to begin sowing the seeds of conflict, right? Um, I think we do want to do the thing where, although Melkor's, uh, although Melkor's sort of betrayal comes as a surprise to most of the Valar, most but not all, I think, perhaps, of the Valar, um, his betrayal should not be coming as a surprise to the uh, to the viewers. And so one of the things that I think we need to do is to sort of show how the influence of Melkor, the presence of Melkor in Arda, is in fact having um, some negative consequences. It's gonna. Ha- it should have some apparently positive consequences too, to enable the Valar uh, rationally to believe that his coming is a good thing, and perhaps part of the plan after all. Um, but it's. But there's got to be some negative stuff, and you know, thinking about the way that this, um, uh, you know, thinking about the way that this gets gets described, like when they. Uh, um, uh, let me let me read another passage here. Um, after it's uh, when Melkor sneaks back in and he builds Utumno, so he's not revealed himself yet, but he's just there in Arda, and the Valar don't even know that he's back yet. And though the Valar knew not of it yet, nonetheless the evil of Melkor and the blight of his hatred flowed out thence, that is from Utumno, and the spring of Arda was marred. Green things fell sick and rotted, and the rivers were choked with weeds and slime, and fens were made, rank and poisonous, the breeding place of flies, and the for- and forests grew dark and perilous, the haunts of fear, and beasts became monsters of horn and ivory, and dyed the earth with blood. Then the Valar knew indeed that Melkor was at work again. Ah. You see where I'm going with this, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was starting to think too. Well, Tolkas doesn't necessarily have to come in and save the day from Melkor. Exactly. We could, just, could just save the day from a bunch of really evil, awful monsters. And boy, where did they come from? Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that could be one. And if we introduce that as sort of like basically in episode four, we focus on like the good stuff, right? Like. Melkor is integrating and everybody is it's and it's generally a good thing. In episode 5, which is 
like the high point, like you know, this is the 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 height of the arc of season one. Things will never be as good and happy as they are in episode five. And yet, in that episode, in episode five, we start laying these sort of showing these sort of alarming. Uh, there will be a bit of a mystery, like you know, the the que- the question will begin to be asked: What's up with this? Why are there monsters in the woods? Um, you know, why have uh, why you know a. Uh, Yvonne would probably be interested to wonder, you know, to, she'll be asking, why have beasts become monsters of horn and ivory and why are they dyeing the earth with blood, right? I like um, I like Lydia's suggestion. Uh, maybe you could uh, stick Ungoliant in here. Right. Yeah, see, that's an interesting as idea. A per- as a person, right? Are we, is she still going to be like a person? Yeah. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure about form, but she could, she obviously could be a powerful enough threat for one of the Valor or Meyer characters, and she could be a red herring for the Valar. They might yes. blame they might think she's behind everything. Right, they think that they've solved the mystery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Quick, somebody make a note of this. So, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that can be the culmination of episode five, right? Because episode five, we've got the two, the, at the end of episode, episode five culminates with two things which seem to accomplish the same thing. The lighting of the lamps and the banishment of Ungoliant. Right, so shadow has been banished. The lights come on. So symbolically, these two things are sort of the same, and everybody thinks, "Okay, we had a little blip there, right? Things didn't go according to plan, but we've expunged the evil, and we have, uh, 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 you know, we're now shining forth the light, and now everything is awesome, right?" And episode five ends. Um, so yeah, so we can do that, and and so Tolkas can be the turning point of uh, of of that. He can come in and 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 rescue, and that can you know sort of then lead us. It would mean his wedding would be in the next episode, so he and Nessa would have to have a bit of a whirlwind romance. Um, but hey, he could rescue her. Why not? Right? You know, maybe maybe Nessa's out dancing and gets kidnapped by spiders and and you know by by huge monstrous giant spiders, and then he rescues her, um, and it'll be. Uh, uh, as long as it doesn't get too Disney-fied. We don't want to go too Disney on it, you know, with this. Well, okay, yeah. And they probably shouldn't, <laughs> like, tie her to the train tracks or something like that. Right? You can... Yeah. Birds It'll be awesome. Tease him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, we can think about ways to make it not just a typical damsel in distress. It doesn't have to be stereotyped people. We're thinking in big picture terms here. You get flesh it out however we want, right? That's right. That's um, right. I'm just think. I'm just thinking of a way. Wait, we've got to. We've got to. You know, if if we're gonna have him married, I I I, I don't want uh, Nessa to be a trophy wife. That's all. You know, I, no, I don't want him to come to in and work. save she the needs day. To be his equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? She needs to be like. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, like I, Zena. <laughs> right. Who's he lawless for Nessa? Oh, that's not how I always pictured Nessa. I have to admit, <laughs> does not exactly jive with my uh, with my. But now that you bring it up, Trish, we definitely have to find we have to find some role for her. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. She'd be great as Ungoliant, probably in her in her. Uh, Although in her now I'm kind of thinking. Dialogue. Now I'm thinking about it. I think I'm I, I'm thinking maybe we should save her for later in the series so she can play Haleth. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, oh, okay. Anyway. Or uh, or or uh, or uh, uh, even. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, um, we're, we're although she's a little long in the tooth now. these days. So no, I we know. need to save I this know. conversation for, for yes, the thirty first. This is during our fantasy casting. Make notes. Lucy exactly. Lawless is on the list. So. Exactly. Yeah. So no, I think there, we should do that. I think there, we should make a list of, of stars and then match them instead of the other way around. But anyway, go ahead. Right. So, but so we're now we're now we're now two removes distracted. So we were talking about reviewing from episode three, and now we're actually just we're now fleshing out episode five. So um, so let's save that. Keep thinking about Nessa, Ungolian, Tolkis, and the building of the. Th- I I love this. I love this as like a major subplot. Of uh, of or even the, sort of the center plot, um, combined with the building. Tom of the Hillman, life. I love your idea. Put that in the discussion board or something. Yeah, for yeah. that episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, all right. So yeah. So this is that's that's awesome. So it's I, I so okay. So I'm I'm liking this idea. Tolkis arrives in in episode five. Uh, I, it's that's good. That's good because again, it is. This is true. I mean, this is one of the things that we can do if we want to introduce particular characters. Um, you know, if we we we, we want to have you know having them have an event, having them you know have an episode feature them. Um, you know, as we're thinking of doing with Tolkas and Nessa in episode five, is of course a great way to do this. And I think we need to be thinking about that over the course of the year. Um, you know, having a a a day with a major, you know, Irmo slash Lorian subplot, for instance, so that we can introduce Lorian and his concept and who he is. Nienna, too. A lot of us have been talking about, you know, Nienna keeps coming up. People like Nienna and Mandos keep coming up. But just remember, we're, again, talking about a big cast. How are we really going to get our yeah. non-Tolkien viewers familiar with it? We've got to get, I mean, episode two and episode four. We've got to make sure we really nail down Manwe, Varda, uh, uh, Melkor, Olmo, Aule, Yavanna, right? I mean, if we go right. beyond, if we're even able to go beyond that, I'd be a little surprised, frankly. I mean, are we going to have time for Mando? Do we have time for Nianna? Olmo is going to have to come, right, Olmo's going to have to come later, too. Even though he's got a significant role, it's, he's still going to have to come later. I mean, in terms of how we flesh out a story. Right. I don't mean he comes later. I yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Orome, we're going to have to save Orome. I think yeah. we're going to have to, I just, I, I think we're just going to have to be disciplined because we, we're not going to really have the opportunity to, uh, um, uh, to, um, to just to really make that make those people all kind of come alive. Um. Okay. Uh, two Balrog points, and then, then, then I'm finally going to be done talking about. Actually, no, I'm not. Never mind. Okay. Two quick Balrog points. <laughs> um. I think we should. Say, we we talked last time about the coming of the Balrog, the proto Balrogs, right? The beautiful, fiery, winged. Uh, not f- unfallen Balrogs. Um, we talked about them, you know, debated about them coming in at the end of episode three. The more I think about it, the more I like them coming in episode four instead of uh, in episode three. Um, I think there's a, uh, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of really good potential there um, because. <sighs> The idea of him being alone, I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I think Melkor really should be alone at the end of the episode, right? Um, you know, that's sort of the resolution of the, you know, Manway Melkor, uh, Varda triangle thing that's going on. Um, the resolution, you know, where his character ends up 
at the end of the little mini arc that is episode three should be him alone, I think. Um, then we can bring in the Balrogs either in episode four or in episode five, but I prefer episode four. Um, they come and join him and everybody can be impressed by them. I mean, it can even be taken as a sign by everybody, you know, by the rest of the Valar that he's good, right? Because, I mean, look at these awesome people who are, who are, you know, like these totally non-sketchy Balrogs who are, who are his companions, right? Um, ah, so we have a all is, all that is gold, does, all that glitters is not gold exactly, sort of sub-theme. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's sort of the thing. Um, uh, exactly, exactly. So, um, so that's one reason, one thing that I like about that. And also, I want a uh, special thanks to uh, to Hakon for uh, his suggestions. He has. Uh, I remember I, I asked for a, a new name for Gothmog, or rather, an old name for Gothmog, because Gothmog just will not fit an unfallen Balrog. Right? It's too sinister a name. Um, obviously, a name he's been given after the fact. Um, so uh, we have uh, 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 four Quenya uh, suggestions uh, from Hakon. Uh, one is Kalwanar, which means beautiful flame, uh, Urialkar, uh, which means something like burning splendor or something like that, uh, Ramanare, which means winged fire, and, and Uriarama, uh, which is something like burning wing. Um, I kind of like... I like Kalwinar and Ramanare. Yeah, those are my favorites, too. Um... Uh, the Uri, uh, the, the ones with the Uri prefix, I, uh, which is, which is the burning, I kind of like because it, uh, it recalls, uh, the concept of the archangel Uriel, whom you may remember oh, Milton yeah, associates yeah. with the sun. Um, so, uh, with burning and light and flame. Um, but also with holiness. Uh, so, I, I, I kind of like that recollection, but, um, but as f- from a purely, it's like, Imagining them pronounced on screen and having people be able to remember them. Uh, I think that probably Ramanare is probably the easiest one of the four. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, anyway, I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to, uh, uh, to, to thank Hakan for coming up with those. Um, okay. Don't worry about writing them down. Megan's, Megan's putting those into the show notes so you can refer to the notes. Excellent. Um, ooh, Chris Stevens, what a wonderful point. Chris Stevens says, should Aryan, the, uh, you know, the, the Maya of the sun, should she be with the proto Balrogs at the beginning? Ooh. Love it. Love yes, you're so it. Chris, that is a idea. brilliant suggestion. An absolutely brilliant suggestion. In fact, uh, it also, um, and, and now having thought about Milton, I'm carrying on thinking about Paradise Lost. One of my favorite characters in Paradise Lost is Abdiel. Uh, that is the seraph who does not fall, right? Who's there when, when, uh, when Satan, uh, you know, when we're getting the, the sort of, uh, the long, um, flashback to, uh, to the fall of Lucifer uh in Paradise Lost and he's telling the whole story about how it happened and so when uh, when he's de- when 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 we're getting the story of Lucifer summoning all of his all of his followers and supporters to the mountain and uh he's he's you know preparing to lead them in rebellion um one seraph uh, 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 uh Abdiel speaks up and defies him and says that he refuses to go with him and remains loyal and Abdiel's speeches oh. are some of the best in all of uh, in in all of Paradise Lost I just absolutely love Abdiel's speeches um so we could make Aryan 
be essentially like the Abdiel character. She could be the Balrog be like who the refuses Paradise to go. Lost Easter egg. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's why. And that's why uh, uh, Melkor both desires and fears and hates her as much. You know. So uh, that's. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, Chris Stevens. That is like. That is official. Uh, like that is like instant classic right there. Absolutely. Oh, we. This is what we've come to expect from Chris Stevens. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, Lydia on. also points out, and I believe somebody else had, had pointed this out last week or last time or the time before, is that Sauron also has a, not a pre-Melkor, a pre-Morgoth name, um, Myron. So that's how he should be known initially, correct? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. No, we can we can go with that. Um, I, I want to... It might become confusing with all these name change. Well, this is the, th- I mean, of course it's Tolkien, right? So we have to kind of live with that to some extent. Um, and you could have, we could have Estelle say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm getting confused. <laughs> yes, now exactly. Tell me again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, let, let's not forget that, that, uh, that, that gripping dramatic moment in our frame story <laughs> later in the season, the pop quiz when uh, Estelle, you know, has to, <laughs> Has to has to fill out like a matching section, right? You know, which of these two names are the same person? And uh, and right. yeah, yeah, that would be great. He has to draw a line from you know names in one column to names in the other. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we can we could have uh, you know it can be a DVD extra. Play along at home. Um, yeah, just wait till we get to Turin. When we get to Turin, we're going to have to decide: Are we going to just like not go through all the names? Can we just like limit it to maybe three names for Turin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so Rowan, don't worry. We're not going to merge characters, but we may merge names. You know, names. That's a, um, yeah, and I would be, I would be, kind, my my general principle on this, I think, would be, um, I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't. Um, Invoke the names, you know, it, when it's, well, and I, I don't even want to think about Turin. I'm not, I'm totally not thinking about Turin right now. Um, but like, there are some obvious name shifts. I mean, like, Melkor to Morgoth is something that we obviously do, and that, that, that's a really important moment in the story. Um, but as far as just like, and he was also known as, right, you know, like, uh, like, I'm not, I do not, I, I, I don't want to have Yavanna be called Kementari as well. Um, you know, I, we don't need right. that. You know, that, that that's certainly not going to add anything for our viewers. Um, so, oh man, I'm sorry, David, <laughs> David Baxter says. Well, David Baxter says, hey, if HBO could release all those family trees and names for Game of Thrones, why not us? <laughs> uh, we can. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. We're That'll gonna get be a cute to be you know, derivative of of, of Ger Martin. Yeah. See, yeah, uh, but I don't. I don't know if you guys have. I don't know if you guys have ever watched like the sort of hour-long like animated um, sort of history, back history, st- etc. of Westeros stuff that they include with uh, each season of Game of Thrones when it's released. It's really solid stuff. We should definitely do some stuff like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll have to have we'll have to have a special team for the planning of our DVD extras and things. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, we need it. We'll have to add an episode specifically for the DVD extras right. at the end of each, every, each <laughs> right. season. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, my point is, 
you know, we don't want to just proliferate names. We want to include names when a change in name is significant. And I do think, for instance, that having the Balrogs have their names changed is important. And actually, I think it creates an interesting situation. Gothmog's name should change first. And Melkor is still going by Melkor, right? Melkor doesn't change to Morgoth until later on. Um, and I actually really like that. Um, you know, it sort of, it shows, it shows how he is different and his followers have changed physically his followers have changed and 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 the name has changed and yet we don't have and yet his own identity his own sense of his own identity has not changed right so he does not change his own name um uh yeah yeah um t- uh, tom hillman says uh, we could do a uh uh one episode on each of Turin's names. Yeah, Tom, that, that is actually the idea that flashed in my mind too, that like, we don't have to actually change his name on screen, but just incorporate the name, like th- the name of one episode could be like the wronged and you know, the, 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 the name of another episode would be the bloodstained, you know, and then the other one would be the son of ill fate, right? We could have, we could actually have like the uh, Turin's, the translations of Turin's different names be the episode titles for like the whole season. Anyway, um, but I am so not thinking about Turin right now. So um, uh, anyway, anyway. So I, I love the I love the I love the, the 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 Balrog ideas. And one last naming topic, and then we're actually done with our intro segment. <laughs> An hour into the show, um, and that is um, uh, Philip Menzies was uh, was uh, saying that I I, I I didn't fully address the issue that he was bringing up with Melkor and Morgoth, and that the problem. And I, I I I think I do, I I think I do get it, Philip, but I, I still I, I think I still don't agree, um, and that is. The point Philip was making is that this is an issue with the frame, right? That the hatred uh, of the elves for Morgoth is so great that they will not say his name. That's what the text says. And so basically he's saying it's going to be a problem for Elrond, you know, in the frame. If Elrond is supposed to be the narrator of the stories, we want to depict Melkor, at least to some extent, sympathetically. You know, we want to we want to enable our viewers to sort of understand and to an extent sympathize with his point of view. Elrond isn't going to tell that story. I don't agree with that. I actually would argue that Elrond, and it's one of the things that I think is going to make Elrond distinct. Um, you know, what makes Elrond a greater lore master than other elves, many of whom have been around for longer? I mean, that's one of the things that I find striking in the depiction of Elrond is that uh, you know people talk about Elrond and how ancient he is. Like I think about those, um, like that moment. In uh, in the Council of Elrond, when Frodo bursts out and he's all like, "But I thought the the, the you know the 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 March of Gilgalad was a long was a long ago time, right?" And uh, and Elrond is like, "So it is, but my memory extends back further than that." I, I always sort of wished for one of the other elves in the room to be like, "Dude, and my memory stretches back way longer than yours, Master Elrond, right? Like you you barely even knew the first age, right? I mean, you came in at the at the absolute butt end of the first age. Who are you to talk about how long you've been around, right? And Elrond is a newcomer, and yet he's the great lore master, right? You know, he's 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 considered, you know, the greatest master of lore." In Middle Earth, how, why, what makes him different, and, and and so my 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 sense of that, Philip, would be, he has 
he's not going to give in to that kind of passion. You know, he's, his hatred for Morgoth will be profound. And I think we should show that. I think we should show that. Um, uh, but I think that he is capable of the kind of, uh, the, uh, the kind of dispassionate treatment that, you know, a good historian would have to show, right? Um, uh, that he can tell the story because he would perceive, yes, yes, Morgoth is awful and the things that Morgoth did were, uh, you know, are, are sort of unforgivable and he hates Morgoth as much as any other of the elves hate Morgoth. And yet he would exp- would perceive and presumably explain to Estelle that you can't just be blinded by your own hatred and by the sense of your own injuries, right? The important thing, because Melkor is evil, because of all the horrible things that Melkor did, it is important to set aside the, the passion of your anger and learn to understand him and try to understand how he came to be who he is. Because only in that way can you come to understand and then to oppose the evil that he represents. So I actually think that our depiction of, of Melkor, and you know, so from the, from the simple usage of his name all the way down through our depiction, can be essentially an evidence of Elrond's wisdom. Wisdom in which he is, I would think, superior to many of the other elves. That there would be a bunch of the elves who might have longer memories than Elrond, um, but who are are just not having any of it, right? Who who will refuse to hear the name of Melkor and would never utter it. But I don't think that I don't think that Elrond is there. Um, but I could imagine an exchange with Estelle, in which. Uh, um, in which he, you know, Estelle is basically like, he sort of gets the wrong impression, right? And it's like, so, so Melkor wasn't really that bad or something like, you know, it's, you know, so, so, so Melkor is not really evil. And, you know, Elrond can sort of explain, no, you know, don't misunderstand. Um, You know, he is, but we have to, but we have to understand him and we have to understand where he, where he came from. Um, so anyway, I, I I do think that that's um, um, that's uh, yeah. As Lydia says, uh, Elrond would totally use Melkor as a chance to teach Estelle how all evil begins in good. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, but um, anyway, okay. So uh, that's it. It's time to start the real episode now. <laughs> um, before we transition to a, a not really a transition to, but before we more fully indulge our discussions of episode four here. Um, let's pause for a second uh, for announcement time. Um, uh, and the main announcement, of course, we've been, as we've been talking about, we've been working our way through our fundraising campaign. We are in the home stretch. We are entering now the home stretch uh, of the fundraising campaign. Um, we were just announcing at, at uh, the, our uh, Doctor Who event last night that um, we've now uh, hit our first threshold. Um, we are at twenty thousand seven hundred and seventy seven hundred and eleven dollars is the total that we have had raised as of last night. Um, uh, so that's been that's been really great. Um, we're excited about What's that. Our next goal, by the way. What's our, our next goal? Is thirty five. Thirty five thousand is the next goal. Yeah. Right. Um, so with twenty thousand, we officially have enough to keep the lights on. All of the basic, uh, you know, the sort of all of the software licenses and things that we pay for, and all uh, in order to make our basic services available. Um, that's all. Uh, that's all. Uh, 
that's taken care of with the 20,000. So that is really wonderful. The next threshold, the 35,000, basically we have a bunch of other expenses in addition to the software licenses that actually make, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, all the different many fees that we have to pay. And in fact, this year is a special year for fees. Um, so again, these are all sort of the very core necessary expenses. Um, the, the, um, the 20,000, you know, pays the power bills, basically. But uh, as anybody knows who runs a household, you have more expenses than your utilities. And so that's, you know, what we're, um, that's what the $35,000 goal uh, is for. So we're excited about gets this. Gets us and to the next level, right? Like basically gets us to the next level. Exactly. As, a, as, a, as an institution. Exactly. So uh, Halstein asks uh, uh, <clears throat> what is not at all a stupid question, but indeed an excellent question, which is how do you donate? And let me give you, uh, everybody, the link uh, to the uh, page for our annual fund. Um, there it is. You can find information about... Um, about the fund itself and about, uh, you can get uh, links to all of the links to support Signum University and everything that we see there is, is direct links to the uh, program that we use to collect the donations. Um, and uh, you can see more information uh, on that page about our goals and uh, the rewards for our, uh, for our donors and all that kind of thing. So, um, uh, Anyhow, so, um, okay, um, so very good, very good. And, but Trish, we also wanted to talk about the, our big culminating event of the campaign is our big webathon oh, yes. on Halloween. Um, and so that's the main thing. So on Saturday, October 31st, we have our big culminating event, our day long, our whole day webathon, um, in which we have a whole bunch of events scheduled. So, so Trish, tell us a little bit about the things that are going to be yes. happening. Yeah, and now these are all Eastern Time, and if you're over in um, Europe, please keep in mind that we will not have changed from Daylight Savings Time yet. Um, so if you if your country is changing, make that make that adjustment. So this is all Eastern Time. We're going to start off at 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Sparrow and Dave, who will be you know about probably about as wake as he is at the moment, which should be fun, are going to have fun with words. That's is right. Basically, what I'm calling it. Fun and with Corey's words in the Hobbit. Color yeah. Man. Yeah, that's fun with words in the Hobbit. So a lot of if you didn't think data analysis could be applied to Tolkien, you're going to find out something different. <laughs> but it's going to be fun. It's going to be interactive too. So it'll wake you up. You know, if it's morning, your time and coffee, and you know, it'll be fun. Then right after that, Corey is going to do a uh, lecture on the Father Christmas letters, which will be awesome. I'm sure. I mean, uh, yeah, that's we're going to do that, a discussion, you know, a Mythgard Academy style close reading of the Father Christmas letters. Right. That'll be awesome. Um, so then, and then after that, we have Demetra Femi, who is a, a fantasy scholar. She's a, a faculty member of Signa Mythgard. Some of you may have taken her courses. She's going to be giving a um, a really interesting talk on Halloween and literature, and and it may be surprising some of the literature pieces that she cites from. So that's going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And by the way, of course, all of these will be interactive like we are here so it'll be on the net moot you can ask questions um so that'd be great and then after that we have a we have wigand running through middle earth in places he's never been before so cory will be on his uh guardian in uh, lord of the rings online you do not have to be in game you don't have to be a player it will be basically streamed so you can watch this 
um, you know, from the leisure of your home on your computer screen, watching uh, us keep, try to keep Wigan from being killed as he goes into areas <laughs> that he has no business being in, uh, like Isengard and Rohan. But it's going to be interesting because it'll be looking at these places he's never been before, so he won't have seen them. And they're going to be, uh, you know, basically how Lord of the Rings Online has interpreted a lot of these uh, places uh, in Tolkien's stories. And not only that, but has actually extrapolated and filled in pl- things. You know how we talk about Tolkien leaves a lot of stuff un, you know, unattended, and so they filled all that in. So that'll be really interesting. And then to cap everything off, this team, this trio that you're talking to right now, is going. we're going to do our fantasy casting episode. So like I said earlier, you know, we are going to, like, we're saving Lucy Lawless and Vin Diesel and The Rock for that night when we talk about, now we're going to be talking about casting in more detail later in this season. So, But this is our, for the entire series, no holds barred, who would we want to have play what? So um, that should be fun. And I'm sure it's only going to go for an hour and a half, so no problem. Exactly. Yeah, so all of Unfortunately, we're not going to have anything after that, so (laughs) so if we go over, it's okay. (laughs) All of those, you know, questions you've had, all of those random thoughts that, uh, you know, this, you know, about like, uh, who should play Holith and who should play Maeglin and, and, or, or rather if you've seen, you know, if you've been seeing or thinking about an actor or actress and thinking, oh, that person would really be perfect for this other, uh, random role. Um, that's, this is the time, you know, we keep, fo- we keep trying to stay focused, attempting to stay focused on what we're doing here in season one. And I don't want to get too distracted by these other things, but it's also really fun to, uh, to do that. Oh, yes. And we do have the, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the, the readings from the winners of our fiction contest as well. That's also oh, and the readings. I'm sorry. I left those yeah. out. Yes, we do an hour. It'll be, um, actually, um, Let's see. I'm not quite sure when, but it will be. Yes. We're still finalizing uh, the schedule. There, there are a lot of moving pieces in this yeah. schedule, so, so we're still finalizing that. everything. Yeah, I, I that's in there. Uh, one of the things about the casting, by the way, I just want to put in for you guys to start thinking about is, you know, it's it's going to be easiest, of course, for us to go with folks we know, you know, names we know. But if any of you kind of know of not so well known actors and actresses, which is really probably what we'd be doing if this was truly a, 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 a production, you know, coming up with new faces and new names kind of thing, you know, put them on the list and let us know about them and you know we can kind of talk about them i think that would be kind of fun as well it would be and anyway so that's it yeah and definitely people have uh have 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 links and images and things ready to send to us so that we can put them up and think about those because also keep in mind when we talk about casting um i am profoundly ignorant uh about hollywood and know almost no actors and actresses myself so uh, i i need much help uh with this kind of thing so all right. Yeah, so prep like links and stuff that we can be looking at, you know, I mean if if you've got something you really want to share with us, you know, make sure you've got some links or something that you can share cuz then we can make it we can share it on the screen and things like that. So that'll be really fun. Anyway, yes. so that's that's Halloween and it'll probably be done, you know, we'll it'll be done in time for hopefully for well no, probably not on the East Coast. Not on the East Coast for trick or treating. No. No, it won't. <laughs> I will will definitely say right now, that's not going to happen. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Oh, well. Oh, well. And you can, and you're welcome to wear costumes to the webathon. That's fine. (laughs) You want to come in costume, that's fine. That's right. We really have no restrictions about that uh, whatsoever. That's right. All right. Um, Okay, so uh, let's get back to, um, let's get back to, Episode four. So, all right. Um, there are two book things that I would have us remember. One I've already mentioned, which is that um, 
sort of that growth of uh, of growth of decay. That doesn't make all mu- that much sense. Um, the 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 arrival of the the, the decay and the monsters, the disruption uh, of the, of the order of things that Melkor's arrival brings about. Do we show any of that now? Um, as we've already been discussing, I kind of like the idea of actually sort of saving that more until episode five, so we don't focus on that so much, um, or even perhaps at all in episode four. The other thing that I would uh, bring from the book uh, to your mind, and where I think it would be really great to focus the sort of action of, uh, of, of episode four, would be on the stuff at the end of the Aina Lindale, that is, after the... Um, uh, like the convers- I'm thinking especially of the conversation that Iluvatar has um, with Olmo um, after the, uh, the, the music. And um, uh, so let's see, uh, picking a passage to, to read here. Um, and Iluvatar spoke to Olmo and said, Seest thou not how here in this little realm in the deeps of time Melkor hath made war upon thy province? He hath bethought him of bitter cold and moderate, and yet hath not destroyed the beauty of thy fountains, nor of thy clear pools. Behold the snow, and the cunning work of frost. Melkor hath devised heats and fire without restraint, and hath not dried up thy desire, nor utterly quelled the music of the sea. Behold, rather, the height and glory of the clouds, and the ever-changing mists, and listen to the fall of rain upon the earth, and in these clouds thou art drawn nearer to Manwe, thy friend, whom thou lovest. Then Olmo answered, Truly water is become now fairer than my heart imagined. Neither had my secret thought conceived the snowflake, nor in all my music was contained the falling of the rain. I will seek Manwe, that he and I may make melodies forever to thy delight. The two things that I would emphasize here are uh, the positive effects of the... So Melkor, in his discord has bethought him of bitter cold immoderate um uh and and also of heats and fire without restraint and yet the effects of these things have been for the greater good and the greater glory of Iluvatar's plan and of Iluvatar's creation and of the realms and within the realms uh of the other Valar so great good comes from it right and not only the other thing that I would emphasize is that through this, Olmo and Manwe are brought closer together. So, the advent, the, in, the, the, the actions of Melkor bring about the increase of beauty and the increase of harmony among the Valar. Right? This is what I'm thinking we use as sort of the nugget of episode four. Um, how is it? What happens when Melkor arrives? On what principle do they accept him? How can they accept him, right? Um, uh, and th- to me, this is the answer, right? Now, but there's, of course, a distinction, right? The distinction is, uh, um, well, I think back to, uh, and this, of course, is out of sequence and out of context, but, of course, uh, one of the great Mandos lines Right. Remember when uh, when Manway is thinking about the you know the after the darkening of Valinor and the rebellion of the Noldor, right? And he's um, and and Manway says his speech about how how evil shall yet be good to have been, right? 
And then, as you will recall, Mandos immediately responds by saying, and yet remain evil, right? What I'm thinking is, this episode, Manway's perspective is much like that, basically. Um, because our initial challenge, the initial difficulty is, having just done the rebellion of Melkor, having just... Okay, well, no, no, no. We spoke of the rebellion, right? We heard about the music and the discord in the music and, you know, Iluvatar's assessment of what happened in, in the music way back in episode one, right? We've already, we've already been there. We've already done that. And then in episode three, we kind of get inside Melkor's head and we learn to understand a little bit better what led to him doing what he did, but he still rebelled and Varda rejected him for a good reason, right? So Varda already rejected him back in the void. Now he's going to come to Almorin and what? She's going to be like, hooray! Oh, good to see you, buddy. It's been forever, Melkor, right? What, what, what have you been up to? Right? And Manway, seriously? He's going to be like, oh, yeah, um, hi, welcome. How do we do that? They know he rebelled. Obviously, when he arrives, their first thought is going to be, um, this didn't work out so well last time, right? Um, why should we be okay with his coming? Um, that seems to me the answer that we have to do. This is the biggest challenge, I think, the biggest challenge of the change that we've made. Um, the change that we have made by ins- by instituting a period of peace with Melkor prior to the conflict with the Valar. Under what circumstances would the Valar have peace with him? Um What are your thoughts? Do you guys have any have have any have any sort of immediate thoughts about this or how you would do this character-wise? My thoughts on this are mostly as you can see from what I've been saying so far here, my thoughts are here pretty abstract, right? They're not very personal thoughts. Um you know, I've not yet really translated it to sort of characters and dialogue or anywhere near that, right? Um They have to attach themselves to the idea. In order to accept him, it seems to me logically necessary that they have to accept the idea, or at least accept the possibility, that his being there is part of the plan. Right? They have to be willing to say, okay, either he's reformed, right? We could we could play that card, which Melkor plays on other occasions as well, and Sauron will play it on a later occasion, right? Yes, okay, I rebelled, but I understand better now, right? Um, now I see the big picture more clearly. Um, I promise I'm going to play nice now, even if I wasn't playing nice before. We could, we could make that explicit. We could, um, um, <laughs> Robert Brown is suggesting that uh, some of the Valar might possibly say uh, that when Melkor hangs from his own mountain uh, as sport for his own flying dragons, then they will have peace with him and Utumno. Um, exactly, Robert. That is what we need to struggle against. Though, Robert, I wouldn't mind somebody voicing that, right? Having a naysayer among the Valar, having the one person as sort of the locus of uh, resistance against Melkor, um, having them not all, you know, duped by him, I think would be a good thing. Um, if we do that, whom 
Who? Who would do that? Who would do that? Whom would we put in that role? Mandos. Mandos is a is a is a good candidate. Um, I'm not sure he's the right one. Uh, Ulmo. Both Tom Hillman and Brian Yoder suggest Orame. Um, Orame, yeah, he's good too. He's good. Uh, I can, he kind of, kind no, yeah. I kind of want to save Orame. Now, yeah. Nick Poanzo suggests Varda. Um, yeah, she is both logical. She's logical because of her resistance to, 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 to Melkor in the last episode, right? In episode three. But at the same time, that all actually makes me a little bit resistant to this because I wouldn't want to just rehash it, right? And there would be a big risk of just going over the same ground that we went over in the last episode. I would prefer to have Varda just kind of remain silent, right? Like, yeah. she, she and Melkor don't have to have yeah. this discussion again, you know? She could have a little bit of a, you know, nonverbal. Right. Moment. Right. Yeah. She can have a nonverbal moment. She can even have a private verbal moment with Manway, right? And maybe even express right. herself verbally, sort of willing to sort of wait and see, right? And not rush to judgment. But she can express her, she can express misgivings. But I wouldn't think she would be the center of vocal, um, uh, rejection. Um, Orame, remember Orame's big moment in the sun um, is going to be the discovery of the elves, right? We're going to have a couple totally Orame-focused episodes because he is going to be, he is the one who is the representative of the, of the Valar to the elves. So like episode one and possibly several of the, I mean, uh, of the of the initial episodes of season two are going to be all over Orame, right? Um, I'm not saying we can't do anything with him or introduce him at all in season one, but but I, but I'm I, I'm just trying to prioritize here. Like we need opportunities to bring in everybody, and he's going to get a bit, you know, a major focus later on. Um. Uh. Now, uh, Lydia, I was thinking similar things. Lydia Putnam says Olmo does wind up being the longest running and most proactive opponent of Melkor in Middle Earth. Um. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, Nick Palazzo says that Melkor keeps stealing Aule's dudes. I actually think that Aule, um, uh, I see Aule as one of his greatest, um, partners initially, in this initial sequence. Um, and in fact, didn't this come up on the forums? Am I forgetting? Somewhere talking about basically sort of the parallel between, uh, Aule's almost fall and, uh, Melkor's actual fall um, um I'm, I'm forgetting it now um, um, but um, but yeah like it's notice we have uh, we have a couple of um, we have a couple of 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 Aule's Maiar who go bad right we've got Sauron um, and uh uh, and we also have uh, Kurumo, that is Saruman. Both of them were Aule's Maiar. And uh, um, so it's the fact that two of his underlings go bad and very prominently bad um, suggests to me. And then Aule himself almost falls in the creation of the dwarves. And I, I think we, we do need to emphasize that is almost a fall. Um, uh, so anyway, I do think... Um, 
I do think that we need to have Aule. I, I, that's why I I would like to see Aule be just like hand in glove. In fact, the building of the of the um, of the lamps the in lamps. episode five is like yeah. a team project, right? Between Olmo and or, or Aule rather and uh, and Melkor. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think I was I sort of toyed with the toyed with the thought of him being the major opponent, but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't seem right. Uh, there's there's Nienna. There's a challenge here, though, in that Nienna, remember, she's a support. Now, we could make that as an interesting sort of setup. She could, Nienna could be resistant to Melkor here at the beginning. And then when he comes back and, and petitions for release after his chaining in season two, um, she speaks up, as we know from the book, she speaks up in his behalf and argues that he should be released. Um, so it could be interesting to have that be an actual sort of reversal of policy by Nienna. Um, and it could make that later scene more, more sort of powerful. Um, here's an advantage of having it be Mandos. I think. Mandos doesn't talk a lot. Right? I mean, Mandos should be a dude of very few words. Um, very few but very significant words. Um, so we could have Mandos say something sort of ominously negative and then hush up, right? So it makes it easier for everybody else to just kind of move along and kind of take that into account and not be sure what to make of that and have it kind of linger in the back of their minds. But then we don't have anybody have to be like a permanently agitated spokesperson, right? I mean, he because he can then just be silent the rest of the time. And, you know, we get shots of Mandos, like, watching and being disapproving, um, which kind of seems rather Mandos-like. Um, and here's here's my problem with Olmo, too, is from the passage that I just read, right? Um, I, I am thinking that we take that discussion between Olmo and Iluvatar, we kind of take some of those elements as a kind of model here. Why is it that the Valar, what is going to convince the Valar? They're going to see the great good that Melkor's works bring about, right? His arrival is going to be with the innovation, with innovations which obviously increase the beauty of the world, obviously increase the beauty of Almeren, right? The addition of frost and snow and, uh, and mist and rain, you know, all those things that are listed, great beauty comes about as a consequence of Melkor's arrival. And they love it. They're, you know, and they see this as evidence. See, this is part, this is an enrichment of the world. This is an enrichment of the music. He has changed his ways. He's no longer just blaring on one note anymore. You know, this is not, a, um, uh, this is, this is, um, Ooh, Tom Hillman says we could actually put those words into Melkor's mouth. The things that Iluvatar says. Um, uh, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, if somebody's, um, um, if somebody's saying, like, if, 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 you know, so we can, okay, all right, hang on, hang on, all right, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being talked around to this by, uh, um, by, by David Baxter and, 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 and Tom Hillman here. Omo could be the one objecting. And saying, no, we shouldn't trust him. And Melkor comes back and says, but Olmo, look. Look at your domain, right? Look at the consequences. You say that I am, you know, that I am coming with destruction. But look, 
Um, and then we can bring up the examples <clears throat> of the frost and the snowflake and the rain, um, and how he's bringing about, uh, how he's bringing about Concord. Um, I, I'm actually, the more I think about that, the more I like that. We actually could use the direct lines, and instead of giving them to Iluvatar, we give them to Melkor. I actually, actually am really liking that. Yeah, Tom Hillman says, the devil can quote scripture for his own purpose. Exactly, exactly. That's the, that would be the idea. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, What, now remember one of the questions I was asking last time, what is the arc of this episode? I feel like this is another one of those episodes where we sort of know what needs to happen, but we don't have a real like beginning, middle, and end of this episode in mind. Um, obviously it's not really a, it's not really a, a, a recipe for success in film or TV to say, in this episode, we're just going to have somebody show up and everybody's going to talk a lot and that's it, <laughs> right? Um, we, we're going to want a little bit more than that. Um, what do we do? What do we have happen? And do we have any other subplots? We have the arrival of the Balrogs, right? Or the proto-Balrogs. Um, hmm. Let's not think about subplots. First, let's think about the main arc. Where does the episode end? What's the climax of this episode? And does anything happen other than standing around in the courts of Almarin talking to each other? Do they go anywhere? Do they do anything? Um. Okay. Let's see. Could 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 Melkor's arrival, his crossing, his crossing of the walls of night, be the the climax, or is that? I think I think his long? being there has to be the. I mean, I think that has to be the beginning rather than the end. Um, okay, because I was think one 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 thing I imagined if you because that would make a decent climax since it would be dramatic, um, and what you could do is uh, to what you what you could do in the meantime is you know there's there's these wonderful passages about. Um, Let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Where is it? Melkor knew of what was done, for even then he had secret friends and spies among the Maiar, whom he had converted to his cause. Far from the darkness, he was filled with hatred, etc., etc., etc. So maybe, maybe this episode would be mostly intrigue. It would be, um, it would be uh, like, it would be sort of a slow reveal. That mm-hmm. Melkor has this um, organization that's infiltrated the into the Valar and the Maiar and, and spying and and maybe maybe there could be one of the the Valar Maiar characters who's trying to investigate it and trying to find out. Um, you know, like like they start to get start to get the sense that something's not quite right or there might be a spy or something and they're trying to figure it out. And and maybe there's one character who realizes what's happening and knows that Melkor is trying is is going to come, um, and it's kind of a race against the clock to stop it, to find out what's going on, and to to reveal it to the Valar, and then maybe something happens to that character. I don't know. Just... Well, one of the issues, yeah, I mean that kind of. Exp- I, I was also kind of thinking about a, a sort of 
ending the episode with a scene in Utumno, actually, because he has built Utumno already. It should be nice, yes. right? Not, not the hells of iron. It should, it should be lovely, Utumno. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Balrogs can be there. I, I was thinking of a kind of, uh, confederation, like perhaps he welcomes guests at the end. And again, we know, you know, so we just have a lot of heavy foreshadowing, right? Um, the people who come are going to like become the League of Evil <laughs> later on, right? Like we'll get the Balrogs and we'll get Sauron can come, right? We can introduce Sauron. Um, uh, but. Oh, that maybe that could be the maybe that could be the climax, as you say. Um, the climax could be a reveal of just how far Melkor's corruption extends. Right. It could be it could be characters who previously introduced in the series seem like they were pretty decent people, and they don't even need to be. I mean, this could be Sauron. Maybe maybe earlier in the this the series we introduced like this this you know lovely young man who's one of Ally's folk, who seems like a pretty good guy, and the reveal at the end of this is, no, that's actually Sauron. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, and he comes because he's seeking, like, you know, we can have a kind of a parallel, which would be appropriate, between Sauron and Melkor in the previous episode. It's kind of nice actually doing those two things one episode apart, right? He comes alone uh, to seek out Melkor because he's seeking knowledge, right? He's coming for the same, many of the same reasons that Melkor went out into the void in episode three, right? He just, he wants to know. He's curious. He's, 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 uh, um, uh, you know, and so he leaves his master, not permanently. He's not permanently left Aule yet, but he's, he has left the side of his master and has gone to, uh, uh, to talk to Melkor because he's intrigued by him and thinks that he can learn from him. Um, but here, but here, the, the thing I want to be careful with, I don't want Melkor yet to be openly corrupt. And certainly not to believe himself to be corrupt. So he's not actually infiltrating, he's taking over, right? That is, the tension is not going to be that Melkor is secretly evil and is bringing people over to his evil alliance. It's not an evil alliance, or at least it doesn't believe itself to be an evil alliance. Um, he's just seeking the rightful lordship, which should be his. And, um, and there are some who are, who are serving him. So, one thing that I think that we could introduce, the Balrogs, their relationship with Melkor should be different than the relationship between other of the Maiar and the other Valar, right? So we, we, we show like, they, they can all have like their posses, right? We can have a bunch of extras. Um, you know, who are like the, uh, the, the, you know, the Maya of, um, you know, who are the, the Maya of, of, of other Valar. Um, but like the relation, the way and, you know, what we see in the Balrogs, their, the particular devotion that they show, the, the, the level of submission that they show, uh, to Melkor, um, their, their, the magnitude of their devotion, the quality of their devotion, can be different, and in a way which kind of creeps out some of the other Valar, right? Um, but they cannot. But they might think that there's sort of like perhaps something a little bit odd or a bit peculiar about the Balrogs themselves, and not perceive it as a sign of Melkor's own character, right? He demands this kind of submission, a much more profound kind of submission. He he is much more about asserting lordship. And even to use, of course, that great Lord of the Rings word, domination, over the wills of others. 
um, than the other Valar do. Their relationship with their Maiar is not marked by domination in that way, but his is. And again, it's not yet open. He's not yet saying, worship me, everyone, but he's, um, but we see that the, the Balrogs kind of are worshiping him, right? And that can make the other Valar uncomfortable, um, but they don't yet come to the conclusion that it shows that Melkor himself is evil. It just shows that the Balrogs are weird. right. But but this is this is sort of a in the eye of the beholder thing, right? Like um, the reason it would be a climax, and that there there would be um, some there would be some tension for the viewers is that the viewers know that this is that this isn't good. Right. You know, he is. So we right. could we could do our best to sort of portray him in a good light and make him seem you know fair and um, justified in his actions, but but the reveal that he has this infrastructure and that he's doing these things would be would be climactic and would create suspense because the because the the, the viewers would at least suspect like eh, this doesn't seem like it's on the up and up. Right. Right. Okay. Is there a way? I'm thinking. Um, Philip Menzies suggests, I think this is a great idea, that um, we can have in the background um, the work of creating and molding the world can still be going on, you know, so we can have... Um, Again, if we want to, if we want to vary things up and not have everybody just standing around in courts talking with each other, um, then uh, the you know one obvious way to do that is to get people out in the field, right? You know, showing people actually at work in establishing stuff. Um, maybe, maybe this is how we start the episode. Maybe we start the episode with, remember, because Melkor has arrived. We show Melkor like building Utumno and setting up shop, though his lovely and not obviously evil shop, um, at, in Utumno. So he's there, but he's not yet come to Almarin. So maybe the episode begins with the arrival of, like, winter, essentially. Um, it's cold and nobody knows why. And, and they're looking at other parts of Arda, and so, so we've got, like, uh, a snowy scene and a desert scene, and the Valor are like, what the heck is going on? Um, why is the world going strange in this way? And they can worry that this is, um, this is, uh, this is a sign of, of disruption, right? And maybe right. Varda even says, like, you know, I fear that Melkor is working to undermine our work or something, or maybe almost says that. And then he comes, and there's, Uncertainty, right? He comes and they're like, "Is this an invasion? Is this a takeover?" Is it? And then he's like, "Oh no, I, I'm great. Everything is good." And they have these discussions, and many of them are, are are won over. And he are, and so we can do that recapitulation of the like, "No, no, like yes, I have bethought myself of of like extreme heats and cold, but don't you see the beauty? Don't you see the advantage? Don't you see how the world is enriched by this change? Right? Temperate climes are boring. This is much better. And." Uh, um, and everyone, and all the Valor can, and most of the Valor can be convinced, right? And be like, yes, actually, this is beautiful. This is great. Is there an event that we could come to at the end of that trajectory, which would be a culminate, and, and it would need to be a thing which shows that he's a good guy, or seems to show that he's a good guy, right? Is there something that he could, that through his actions, through Melkor's own like through the extremes of heat and temperature or whatever it is, there could be some challenge that is overcome, some apparent enemy who is undone. Um, 
I liked the idea of, Un- I mean, Ungoliant presents herself as an obvious possibility, of course, but we were thinking about using her in, in episode five, and with the light thing with the lamps, that just seems too perfect. And with the foreshadowing of the destruction of the trees with Ungoliant and everything, it's that's like way too good to, to waste on episode four. We gotta save that for episode five. Um, so, um, so what then can we have be the culminating moment at the end the, the thing he, he he should do a thing which convinces he, sh- he shouldn't just talk people over because that's lame right we can't have them come in and be suspicious and then him make some nice speeches and everybody be like oh okay right I mean that's dumb right he needs to do something to prove himself Uh yes, that's true. So what should he do? <laughs> so what should he do? Well, the well, the, the 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 question is clearly, what's the problem to be overcome? Um, and that's... I like if we introduce the the hot and the cold as the effect of his coming. Oh oh here. Oh, oh oh oh! I see, I see, I see. He he comes in and he shows them how like oh this cold and the the extreme temperatures aren't that bad and you just gotta you know he shows them how to put on a coat. So they're not cold. <laughs> right, right, right. It's um, Just put your umbrella up, people. It's not that hard, right? Come in out of the rain. Seriously. First, you gotta first you gotta create a coat or an umbrella, right. and then let me do. bestow some wisdom upon you. Yeah, which is great because 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 he's responsible for them. Do they, do they know he's responsible for them? I would they, think yes. Well, yes, because you could imagine one way you could portray it is they just perceive this problem. And he comes in and shows that he understands it, maybe even has mastery over it. And and they're like, you know, well, thanks, Melkor. That that was really helpful of you. Um, or doesn't see it know, as a problem. It's like, it's not this... really a problem. It's how you're looking at it. Right. right. And All in your viewpoint. And part of the suspense is is sort of a, a reveal, you know, to the viewers that, like, um, you know, like, this didn't happen out of nowhere. Actually, this guy, he created the problem. And then he right. came in and showed them how to fix it and, you know, basically pulled the wool over their eyes. Right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the problem comes in at the beginning where something with the extreme heat and cold is looks like it's it's a huge problem, right? Like it's purely destructive. Um, and then what? how he resolves it is to come in and show, no, actually it's beautiful. Right. It's great. This is an improvement. This is, this is, this has increased the glory of Arda rather than marring it. It's not a marring. Whatever just happened wasn't marring. Right. That was totally not marring. Um, but again, it has to be more than just talk. So some kind of resolution, some kind of actual like assertion of his power. Um, he, uh, and, and the thing, the thing has to be related to his, like maybe, um, if we did the cold thing, I mean, we could do, we could try a hot thing and a cold thing, basically, but the cold thing could be something like maybe the advance of a glacier or something like that. Like ice is, and it's like that basically they could be fearing, uh, you know, it's like the polar ice caps are growing and glaciers are moving south across the land and they could be fearing that like this, you know, like, is the whole world going to be encased in ice? Yovana could be kind of upset that parts of her domain, which were covered with, uh, w- uh, you know, with beautiful uh, plants and things, are um, are 
you know, being destroyed. And so that this is, you know, basically her, 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 her realm is being trashed. Um, what would be the heat thing? Is there anything parallel to like the growth of, the growth of glaciers seems like a, a, a sensible advent of cold thing. Now, of course, ends global warming. Right. Yeah. Well, but except we've got to have the hot zones too. So we've got to have, um, we've got to have deserts as well. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe he, maybe, maybe, uh, in, in, in stopping the glacier, he creates like the heat, it involves heat somehow, which in turn causes floods. We could have floods. We could have, okay, suggestions we have from people are, oh, well, first of all, Philip uh, is complaining that, that glaciers, of course, are really slow. Yeah, time passing. Remember, like, wait, this whole, like, you know, episode four probably takes course over the, uh, t- takes place over the course of several millennia, right? We're all good. No problem. <laughs> slow advance of, of glaciers is, is totally fine. Um, uh, uh, okay, okay, so we've got, um, Wildfires, deserts, and volcanoes are the three hot suggestions that people have made. Oh, volcanoes is a really good one. Volcanoes is a really good one. Volcano yeah. is like an, an Aule crossover, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You could, um, you could win Aule over by engaging him in, in that project. I would kind of think that Aule would think that volcanoes were cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't LA kind of think volcanoes are cool? I mean, it's a fire mountain, right? What's not to like? Um, uh, how about deserts? Deserts seem like the obvious, um, um, seem like the obvious, uh, 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 counterpart to glaciers. But see, cause this is the thing to remember though, people. When we're talking about the resolution of these problems at the end, it can't be the removal, right? Because we're still going to have glaciers and we're still going to have deserts, right? Um, the the extremes of heat and cold are here to stay. And the point, again, the point is not these are problems that have to be fixed. That's going to be the thing at the beginning, right? They're, they're going to be like, you know, at first, the arrival of, of you know, the frozen north and the deserts, uh, uh, you know, at the equator are going to look like terrible things. Right, like simply destructive. This is de- this is this is encroaching death that is merging. You know, all of the all of the wonderful, pleasant, green and growing things that they have created are uh, are, are are. This is all going to be uh, uh, destroyed by the encroachment of like the deserts and the glaciers. There's going to be nothing left in between, other than maybe like an ocean or something. You know, so uh, but. But then, so what happens in the end is not necessarily that he stops, or he could maybe, maybe they, maybe he pretends to stop it. Maybe he convinces them that he has set the bounds upon them. Maybe that's it. Maybe what he shows them at the end is a balanced world, right? Um, that right. The, the problem yeah. they see at the beginning is the growth of the deserts and the glaciers, right? See, so Philip, it's good that it takes place over long periods of time, right? They're see, and, and, and they're thinking like, what's the trajectory here, right? I mean, is this, is this going to consume the world? And he steps forward and says like, no, I lay bounds upon the deserts and I lay bounds upon the glaciers. And, um, 
and therefore, you know, so I, I, I therefore am the savior of the rest of the world, right? The rest of the, of the world that you guys have made has been saved by me because I'm holding back the glaciers and the deserts and preventing everything from falling into simply extremes. And then, of course, we have the speech about the beauty that he's created. And he can say to Yavanna, like, okay, on the one hand, I know, I know that, um, I like wrecked a whole bunch of your plants, but look, right? Behold the cactus, right? Behold the, you know, he can sort of show her, and, and, and as far as heat is concerned, like, behold the rainforests, right? Um, uh, you know, he can show how the extremes of, you know, we, we, we can see, like, arctic animals, and we can see, you know, but behold the walrus, behold the cactus, right? Behold the, you know, all of these, these new things that have been added, um, you know, these new ways, uh, in which your, you know, in each of your realms is going to be, um, is going to be, uh, 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 enriched. And, you know, that he has done, that he, he has brought all this, right? Um, and then Olmo says his thing and is like, no, like, this is really bad. And then, and then he responds to Olmo with the words of Iluvatar, right? And he points to, instead of the big picture, he looks at the little picture, right? Look at the snow. Look at the snow. You've been afraid of the snow, right? You've been afraid of the ice. Look at ice crystals. Look at the snowflakes. Look at how beautiful that is, right? Look at the at, at the glory that has been added to your realm of water, right? Admit it. You never thought about snowflakes. Look at that. I mean, isn't that isn't that amazing? The snowflake, right? Um, and then we get rain, right? We get the rainforests and we see the rain coming down and Yavanna's plants coming up and Yavanna loves the rain and Aule's or even almost like, okay, the rain is really cool. Right. Um, uh, you know, so we, so we get clouds in the sky and everything. And so the, 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 at, at the end we have Melkor in his glory and everybody being like, actually, you know what? This is awesome. Okay. We thought this was at the beginning. We thought this was a problem. Now we see this is actually great. This is fantastic. Um, and Melkor is, Melkor is, um, is in his glory, right? Melkor is in his glory and he is, uh, he is, he's, he's basically positioned to try to essentially take over, right? Karita <laughs> says nobody's actually going to say behold the walrus, right? I, I, I don't know. And I, at the same time Karita said that, Brandon Young said he loves behold the walrus, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, um, Robert says, how do the new species arise? We could have him, like, collaborate, you know, Melkor collaborating with them, right? So, you know, the, the idea, like, something like, uh, something like the Arctic seal, for instance, to choose a less comical example than walrus, uh, to, like, something like the Arctic seal could be, like, basically him saying to Yavanna, no, like, we can work together, right? This brings us closer together, right? And, and, you know, and, and we have, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm adding some variety to your rather boring, you know, animal palette that you were working with before, right? And your plants, right? Um, so we get, we get all of these strange, but wonderful new things, which Yovana had not thought of before. But now that there is extreme cold in the world, she, you know, she, she brings, her, you know, many of her beasts to adapt to the extreme cold. There is now extreme dryness in the desert, but she brings some of her plants to adapt themselves to the extreme dryness of the desert and brings about great beauty that she had not conceived before. Um, so we can show, we can use Yovana, I think Yovana and Olmo as sort of the, 
Yavanna is more convinced than Olmo, but we can show there that again both the increased beauty and the increased um uh the increased uh uh uh, uh harmony among the Valar, right? Melkor comes in and he's like, hey, man, I am not only bringing this world that you guys have started creating, and don't get me wrong, you've done a great job and everything, but now that I'm here, we're taking it to the next level, right? Um, and I am obviously the glue that holds everybody together, right? Um, and so, so the end of the episode not only brings him in, uh, you know, brings everybody around to saying, hey, Melkor and, and his domain, this extreme heat and cold thing, this is actually awesome, but also it's kind of the beginning of his of his uh, like political campaign, right? Where he leaves the, um, you know, at the end of the episode, Melkor is clearly thinking, "I should totally be in charge here," right? And and we can see him sort of sowing those seeds. Um, maybe we maybe we end that. Maybe we don't end with the like, uh, you know, the 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 company barbecue of the like uh, of the or like the gathering of the like future evil leaders of the world up in Utumno. Maybe we don't do that at the end. Maybe we save that. Maybe we merely have. Maybe we do that kind of non-verbally as he's like speaking and you know, addressing the assembly of the Valar and showing them all of these things. And we just, ha- you know, we just have like particularly thoughtful and vigorous nods uh, coming from certain quarters, right? Both from among the Valar and from among the Maiar, um, setting that up sort of for uh, for next time. Mark Ingram, you are—I forgot about that. Tolkien did write the definition of walrus in the OED. Uh, the WAs were totally the part of the OED that Tolkien wrote, so we have to have a walrus. It's an Easter egg, right? Ah, yeah. Another Easter egg. Yay. Another Easter yes. egg. In fact, if we if we can work it out, we need to we need to quote a portion. We 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 need to include a direct quotation from uh, Tolkien's walrus definition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, so okay. Ooh, Brandon Young says that uh, later on, Feanor should be directly inspired by the snowflakes. Uh, I like that, Brandon. Sort of. Uh, Ooh, uh, yeah, you know, good idea. A reference back. Yeah, we should definitely remember that um uh yeah yeah cool and oh and autumn right oh the glory of autumn foliage here i am in new england looking at the glory of the autumn foliage as the leaves drift drift past my window this can be another of the great glories that that comes as a consequence right the season the turn of the seasons that can be another thing that happens of course at the beginning that they're like what the heck not only do we have glaciers and deserts now we've got like winter and summer and autumn oh my right what's going on you know this is uh this is bad you know it's winter and animals are dying and plants are you know and this again and again he shows uh um uh he 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 shows this is no 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 seriously this is a good thing and Olmo might remain unconvinced but uh um but the rest of them are the rest of them are pretty cheerful about it what do you think is that enough i mean it's not like an enemy thwarted and overcome right but but we're still short on enemies at this point that's the whole idea i mean th- it's one of the int- it's one of the implicit challenges of trying to depict multiple episodes in what is still essentially the golden age right mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know the, one of the one of the problems that you face in the golden age is a is a is a marked scarcity of antagonists right um <laughs> <laughs> and and if if the whole point if the, if the fundamental question you always ask when establishing a plot is what is the conflict right where is the tension it's hard when you don't have any conflict yet when you're trying to depict the time before conflict 
Well, you know how we talk about first age problems? I mean, we could have golden age problems, you know. So the <laughs> conflicts would be silly things like, you know, somebody gets their finger pricked on a rose thorn or something, you know, makes a big deal about it. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am golden age uh, problems, yeah. I like um I like the I like the 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 picture you've set up. I, I like the idea of it being sort of more elemental problems, you know, natural disasters, and that that in helping solve them, Melkor actually makes a very compelling argument, um, you know, for sort of why he's you know special and why maybe people should follow him, which is that he is kind of this in, he's the great integrator, or synthesizer that he helps put things together and bring the different groups, different Valar together, um, and in fact, I mean that's sort of that's what he's supposed to do, right? Right. Like, that is it's sort kind of, of true. That's the thing. Exactly. So, exactly. so he comes in and he does that, and people look and say, "Well, you know, Melkor's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe he's not so bad." But we all, but we know that it's that that the, that there's malicious intent underneath. That he's not content to collaborate and synthesize. That he wants to dominate and rule. Yeah. The other thing about him, I, I don't know if, if we did we say this or not, that he could come in, he could kind of be sowing discord between people in a in a really kind of nefarious, you know, like two people talk, as simple as would be two people talking, yeah, 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 talk, 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 Melkor comes up, and after Melkor leaves, suddenly there's like, the seeds of an argument have, have been sown, you know what I mean? Now they're not quite as in accord, or... or well, I, think, I think that's sort of... They're not as satisfied, like, or something like that. That'll be like next, that'll be like right. the next round of Melkor, next, right? Uh, okay. be, right. That'll be when he's when he's living captive in um, in, in Valinor. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, actually, okay. you're right because yeah, we do true. have to save some stuff more, yeah. for Melkor yeah. unchained, but as yet unrevealed. Right. You know, uh, that's right. Yes, which, by the way, is going to need to be the the father of the same thing happening when Sauron gets you know yeah, yeah. captured. Absolutely. In season Absolutely. Yeah, we do have to remember that uh, if we're going to follow Tolkien. That means we have to reconcile ourselves to telling the same story like seven times, right? Because that's what happens right. in Tolkien's world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we do need to make sure to save some stuff. You know, we can't, we, we can't, we can't shoot all our ammo in the first round, or we're going to be in, we're going to be in some serious trouble. Uh, so, so Dave, like, I'm thinking back to your like uh, your your gumshoe argument or you know suggestion. That would be perfect for. In Valinor, right after the unchaining, um, when uh, when yeah. when he's going around, you know, we could because then he is doing a conspiracy, right? He's not yet doing yeah. a conspiracy; he's just trying to take his rightful place. He himself may actually not even believe a conspiracy is necessary because he's just gonna he's gonna show them the error of their ways. He's gonna show them how awesome he is, and basically, episode five can essentially be, okay, now that I'm here and accepted and I have showed you how awesome I am at the culmination of episode four, I'm now presuming that you're all going to pretty much worship me and accept me as king, right? I mean, that's obviously the thing that happens next. And we can have some people being a little bit uncomfortable with this. Um, but like the, the, he basically, Melkor can believe that the building of the lamps is sort of like, it's practically his coronation ceremony, right? Those are his babies. Okay, so that actually, okay, so that that may answer. <clears throat> Megan Frame just asked me. So does that mean at the end of this episode, Melkor is being celebrated? And it sounds like the answer is basically yes. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, okay. yeah I think so. I, I kind of like this 
I like this direction. Oh, I like that. And then we even have another opportunity for um, for Varda to have a nonverbal facial expression. Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. Right. There should, be, there should be there should be a couple. There should be several people who maybe they aren't outright opposing him, but they are deeply uneasy at what's happening. Right. How, By the way, you know, we could have also talk about echoes. We could have Varda and Manway kind of echo what will be Melian and Thingol later on down the line, which mm-hmm. is her being, you know. Insightful in him saying, "Nah, nah, 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 nah." <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. That that element of their relationship. Yes, we can we yes. we can begin uh, the 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 long and storied tradition of ruling men who ignore <laughs> their much wiser wives. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which is which is going to be which, a long standing thing. Which I'm sure extends into the present day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yep, yep, yeah, I think we should, uh, yeah. I think we should totally do that. Um, so yeah, okay. We've totally neglected the frame, um, unfortunately. Um, well, maybe we do. Maybe this is an episode where we don't have a whole lot of frame. Remember we talked yeah. about we didn't want to actually necessarily yeah. even have the frame in every, every single episode. Well, m- maybe we have a thing coming back, uh, to Philip's point, which I know I still haven't convinced Philip, and maybe I- I'll, I'll, I'll try to continue someday, Philip. I'm not giving up. But anyway, um, maybe, maybe we come, that's, that's the one reference to the frame that I did make was in that discussion. And maybe at the end, basically, we have Estelle basically Convince, because the whole episode seems to be convincing. I, I mean, I think we should actually not even tip our hand. Throughout the episode, we can actually give the impression that Melkor is awesome, right? And Olmo, who is opposing him, can can sound like he's the bad guy, right? You know, like he's the he's the he's the he's the malcontent, Olmo, right? He's like the loner loser right. malcontent who doesn't have a date for the prom, um, who is just grumbling about Melkor because Melkor is so awesome, right? Um, right. just opposing the popular guy merely like because he's popular and he's jealous. Exactly. Right. That, right. that's what Olmo can sound like, can look like if, if Olmo is in fact the opponent. Um, and, uh, uh, so, um, so if we did that, like, uh, basically it would be interesting to have Estelle emerge from this particular lesson. Actually, perhaps misunderstanding. Be like, so, Saying, wow, Melkor wow, was that Melkor rocks. was really he awesome, was right? Dude, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then have have Elrond make very clear that that is not the case, um, right? Uh, that could be the end of the episode, actually. Yes, or, or maybe, or maybe Elrond will just kind of shake his head knowingly and say, right, you know, well, wait and see. Yes, yes. We we will wait for we will wait for the next well, I, lesson. I was thinking about you know we do kind of, like you said you know we do want the audience to to, to kind of understand you know have some some unease maybe right. not totally well, no, no but see but they so having the Elrond at the end say something like yeah there's more to the story or something right. like that right. you know yeah yeah no I mean I and would think there would definitely good. there would there would need to be when like if Estelle said something like. Wow, Melkor is really awesome, right? There would have to be just steel in Elrond's eyes when he responded to that. I mean, because I do think, coming back to Philip's point, I don't want to make Elrond immune, right? I mean, I don't want to make it, you know, like he doesn't care. He's the only elf who, who, like, is fine with it, right? Um, no, he knows perfectly well. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he has as much, you know, resolution against Melkor as the next elf. Um, he just, uh, he just is able to, uh, tell, you know, has, 
has the wisdom to uh, to tell the story. Um, okay. Uh, well, as for the beginning, um, maybe. I, if we went with the same thing that we went with, I mean, we don't want to reuse the same idea over and over again. But again, as I've said before, one of the things I like about the Estelle frame, the, the about the pedagogical frame, is it always gives us the opportunity to, to, you know, start with a question. Basically, the premise of an episode can be to answer a question that Estelle asks at the beginning. Um, and there are certainly plenty of episodes. Again, I don't want to do that in every single episode, but there are certainly pl- plenty of questions that you could ask about, like, you know, many of the questions that we started the episode, you know, this session with, right? Why, why did the Valar accept Melkor, right? If Melkor was the rebel against Iluvatar and they knew that, why, why would they accept him? Um, anyway, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Brandon Young suggests that the closing camera shot of uh, of the episode should be like, you know, Elrond with his like intense, fiery, steely look as he reflects on Melkor and what's to come. Uh, uh, interesting, yeah. Sarah King suggests that it could perhaps be snowing uh, during the opening frame bit. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. Um, and it could be gorgeous. And Estelle could comment on the gorgeousness of the snow. Um, but uh, anyway, okay, all right. Um, but I, I agree with you, Trish, that we don't have to have an intense frame narrative during every episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, I think it's a good idea not to, so that we get yes. the audience accustomed to the fact that sometimes there will be more frame, other times not so much frame. Yes. Yes, definitely. You know, so. Definitely. Um, yeah. Good. Good. All right. Um, so, for next time. Questions for next time. So, here's uh, here's what I want to leave you with. So, remember, our next session is going to be on November 6th, uh, two weeks from now. Um, the uh, <clears throat> Guess what I the recommended with reading you guys. is? Just wanted to tell you guys ahead oh, of time, so you're right. all disappointed that I'm not going to be right, here. You're going to be traveling next time, right? I'm going to be traveling. Okay. okay. Um. Uh. The re- the 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 recommended reading is going to shock you. Chapter one of the Silmarillion <laughs> again. <laughs> Still for the next couple weeks. Uh, you should be assigning like line numbers, you know, like you do with Beowulf. Right. Know? Yeah. Exactly. Four more words. Exactly. Um, I, I want you all to have <laughs> chapter one words. memorized uh, by the time we get there. Um, but um, okay, okay. So uh, <clears throat> questions for next time. As always. Um, we want to be thinking about what's the arc, what, you know, what's the beginning and the end uh, of the episode, what characters are going to be the primary players. You know, those are those are th- for every episode. We need to be thinking about that. And I'd be I'd love to hear uh, your suggestions. We've already, of course, had some ideas that I look forward to indulging myself and in talking about more uh, for next time. Um, uh, qu- specific questions uh, that I well, actually okay, right, my second question has actually been answered already. My second question was going to be how should the tension build? Who and what will be at the core of it? Um, and uh, I think our Ungoliant suggestion has already kind of preempted that. But let's think more about that. Like how and 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 how can the um, th- thinking, especially about the tension concerning Melkor's reign or apparent reign. Right. Um, where does that start? Do we have uh, do we have 
basically Melkor kind of growing into the leader by acclaim by everybody and Manway saying, dude, what the heck? Or do we have others speaking out Omo and others joining with Omo and speaking out against him? And if so, what causes that? How does that tension, the, the, the tension around Melkor's uh, rule, how does that, uh, or, 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 or does that come in yet? Do, you know, do we have that come in in episode six? Um, so let me phrase this question more broadly and more specifically so that someone could actually write it down. What should be the response to Melkor's apparent, to, to, to the question of Melkor's rulership? How, how should the question of Melkor's rulership um, get handled over the course of the next episode? And the building of the lamps. Should the building of the lamps be Melkor's idea? Um, this comes back to a question, one of the interesting revisions from the Book of Lost Tales to the later Silmarillion stories. In the Book of Lost Tales, Melkor is there, and he's 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 like the main advisor in the, on the building of the lamps. The building of the lamps, it's like totally him, but he's just tricking them all along, and he always means for them to collapse. In the published Silmarillion, the lamps are just something that the Valar do, and then he comes in from outside and destroys them. Um, how do we how do we handle the building of the lamps? Are, are the building of the lamps a Melkor project, or are they a Valar project that Melkor then is jealous of later and destroys out of spite? How do we handle that? Um, so those are my two plot-specific questions. How do we handle the question of of Mel, you know the, the 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 depiction of Melkor's rulership uh, and the building of the lamps? Um, what is um, should the building of the lamps be Melkor's idea? All right. That's Sound what we're going to be thinking about for next time. Next episode is going to be super fun. I'm really looking forward to to yeah, that. I, I'm just I'm absolutely in love with the ideas that we already came up with, and I can't wait to talk about them more. Yep. Oh, fine. Rub it in. That's fine. No problem. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, the next episode will be interesting to listen to, but no fun to participate in. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be fun for people. Everybody should totally come back and listen, but Trish will be missing nothing significant. It really will be. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant here to say. I, here I was all, here I was all like, oh, no more extra reading. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So you don't have to necessarily reread chapter one again before next time, Trish. So the, that you're fine. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. Thanks, as always, for your contributions, both on the discussion board. I encourage everybody to go to the discussion board uh, and uh, and and continue work there. You know, so many really great suggestions. I still there's still some other suggestions. I'm thinking particularly uh, Gabrielle Wilson of your comments um, about Yavana and the animals. I'm thinking about that for next time. Actually, oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm really interested in that idea. I want to think that through a little bit more. It seemed I didn't I meant to bring it up today and I didn't because um, it seems more uh, fit for uh, next uh, session. Um, but anyway, so definitely... Um, oh, and Philip Menzies says that there's been some good conversation going on in the live chat room, too. So right. uh, to keep your eyes on the forums. So hopefully those of you in the chat room that have been talking about stuff are going to post on the forums. Looking forward to that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. So again, yeah, thanks as always for everybody who's been... Uh, um, who's been... Uh, uh, involved uh with our discussions both today and on the discussion boards uh in the past and and hopefully to come over these next two two weeks so 
Thanks. Oh, by the way, so, I wanted to share yeah. the, the Jim Butcher thing, first of all. Oh, yeah, yeah. I told John yeah. I wanted to share this really quick. I had to laugh. So those of you who were or were not there when we interviewed Jim Butcher last week as part of the fundraiser, which was just an awesome night, and, and the, 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 I promise you the audio will be up. I promise you. Um, but I had to laugh about the fact that when we told him we were doing the Silmarillion film project, his reaction was kind of tepid. His response was, well, you know, prequels never really work very well. <laughs> not a prequel, so dude. We uh, we kind of, we took him off into the Star Wars area and, and diverted his attention, so we didn't have to get too much more about that. So he didn't seem real like taken with it, but he has some really great stuff to to say about uh, you know the, in, in our various conversations about Tolkien and adaptation, and in fact um, was was I think you know got some education when we told him how you know there were some similarities between him and the professor and, and what where those were and stuff so mm-hmm. it was really fun so the audio on that will be out but I just had to laugh because he was like well you know prequels don't work very well and okay let's move on <laughs> <laughs> yeah there were more I mean okay, now I'm done he, he was he was particularly interested in talking about uh, Elrond that was the thing he got most excited about sort of thinking about young yeah. Elrond and uh, uh yeah, yeah, which is one of my do. favorite topics, actually. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, I agree. It's going to be really fun to do Elrond's uh, story uh, when we get to that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that is going to be. In fact, I – oh, so, yeah, so what, one of the things I was thinking about for the 31st, you guys who are going to come to the fantasy casting, my suggestion is you do one, you do two things. One is your list of actors, because we've already started talking about uh, – no, I'm sorry, list of characters, you know, in the books, but also a list of actors, not necessarily assigned to any particular character, but just like a list of actors. Right, just um, people in general that you would, would want. would be yeah. useful – yeah, in, useful in the story somewhere, and, we, and bring those with you too. So rather than us having just the conversation from the point of view of the characters in the story we could also have the conversation about particular performers and you know their work and do they have a place so uh, and of course if there's anybody new that you know of that would be cool too yeah excellent okay very good i've got a run i've got uh, i've got my my loto stream in 10 minutes his foot and looking yes. at his wristwatch he is waiting. exactly exactly i've got a hobbit burglar i've got an appointment with a hobbit burglar um, his cake hat is melting yeah exactly Uh, So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us and for all your contributions. And we'll say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.